we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Breaking news in a fatal daylight shooting at a Cal tire in Chilliwack. RCMP releasing this surveillance video of the suspects and they're identifying the victim. Good evening and thanks for joining us. That's where we start tonight. Investigators releasing some new information in that targeted shooting. The victim now identified as 33-year-old Yi Hung Chin. Nadia Stewart is following the story for us tonight. Nadia, RCMP saying that Chin was known to police. Yeah, that's right. Investigators say Chin was a Chilliwack resident, but we've also learned that he was a well-known gangster in Calgary. RCMP today releasing this new surveillance video. It shows the suspects at the Cal Tire. They're also putting out a timeline. We now know at 8.56 on the morning of July 21st, the shooting occurs. Then at 9.02, that's just six minutes later, the suspect Dodge Caravan was believed to be set on fire. You can see these two vehicles taking off in tandem from the site of the burning vehicle. We don't have a make and model as yet from iHit. They say the vehicles can only be described as a dark and light-colored sedan. That, uh, that Dodge Caravan a few moments later is then uh, observed uh, smoking underneath the bridge and we're hoping that any witnesses in the area of the bridge or driving over the bridge at that time that noticed vehicles uh, speeding off uh, contact us so that we can follow up with them. All right, Nadia, you mentioned the victim was well-known to Calgary police and that he was a lead member of a notorious gang in that city. What more can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. Roland Chin was a lead member of the FOB gang, one of two rival groups in Calgary. They are linked to about 25 murders in that city. Chin served prison time for drugs and weapons charges, and once released, he was rearrested for violating conditions. And at that time, Sophie, he was wearing a bulletproof vest. All right, thanks for that. Nadia Stewart following that breaking news for us tonight. Well, it's been one week now since 13-year-old Marissa Shen was reported missing. Her body was later found in Burnaby Central Park. And that's where our Ramina Dea is tonight. Ramina, this is a tragedy that's terrified the neighborhood, and residents still have very little to go on. Chris, people are still scared and they're frustrated because of the lack of information. We still don't have any information on a suspect. We don't know what the motive might have been. We don't know if the killer knew Marissa Shen or if this person was a stranger. IHIT has told us, though, today that they've received more than 
80 tips in this investigation, and they're looking at every single piece of information that's come in. So let's go over what we do know. One week ago, Tuesday, July 18th, Shen was captured on surveillance camera, entering an apartment late in the afternoon across the street from the crime scene here at Patterson in Maywood at 5 p.m. We know she spoke to someone on the phone. She was not in distress. Who she spoke to, I had investigators are not saying. One hour later, 6.02 p.m., she leaves her home. We don't know where she went. Fast forward to 11.30 p.m. when the family called RCMP to report her missing. And then an hour and 40 minutes later, Shan's body was found early Wednesday morning at 1.10 a.m. in the bushes in Central Park. Now, many people have been dropping by today at this growing memorial here where the crime scene was. Over 100 bouquets of flowers. There are teddy bears and messages to the family and to Shen. The community still nervous because no one has been caught. I'm, like, kind of paranoid that he's still out there. He can, like, do it to somebody else. I can't understand why it's taking them so long. You know, I thought they would have some idea. Families are walking around here, and they want to know if that person is even the suspect or this and that, because, you know, we know, we want to know. We are curious people. All of us, we are curious. And I think it would be nice if police will update us with something else. No, no. So I hit still asking the public, Chris and Sophie, to take a good look at that surveillance footage, which was released last week. It's the best image they have of Shan Burnaby RCMP. You can see in the background here, along with I hit investigators, have been on the scene all day talking to witnesses. They've been going around with Marissa's picture here, asking anybody who saw anything, anything suspicious in the park on Tuesday of last week, or if they saw her after 6 p.m., on Tuesday of last week. They want to talk to you. They want you to come forward. Chris, back to you. All right, Romina, thank you. Well, it was supposed to be the biggest investment in the province's history, but Petronas is pulling the plug on its $36 billion LNG mega project on the North Coast. It was estimated 4,500 jobs would have been created during the construction phase and 630 workers would have been needed to operate the facility. But now... It's dead. Keith Baldry explains the reasons behind the decision. Earlier today, Petronas contacted our government and told us that the Pacific Northwest LNG facility is not proceeding. And so, less than a week into its existence, the new NDP government waves goodbye to a vast mega project that had the potential to create thousands of jobs and billions of dollars of revenue. The NDP has firmly opposed this project in the past. But today, the new energy minister didn't want to be seen as being particularly happy that it's now officially dead and stuck to a pre-written script. I am looking forward to being on the phone later today with all of our LNG stakeholders, as well as First Nations who are impacted by this decision, and reassuring them that I'm looking forward to working with them. But others were more direct in their reaction. The environmental activists are ecstatic the project is over. To know that... This project is no longer a threat to the communities along the Skeena River or the global climate. It's, uh, it's a massive win. The LNG industry, meanwhile, is still optimistic other LNG projects will proceed. I'm focusing on the positives, and the positives are that we have seven remaining members of the BC LNG Alliance that are focusing on developing their projects and moving them towards final investment decision. But the party that has championed LNG for years tied the project's failure to the NDP's opposition to much of the resource sector and warned there would be province-wide implications. You have a glut of LNG in this world, absolutely. 
but doesn't mean they're not building LNG projects in the world. They just won't be investing in British Columbia. They're going to take their capital, invest in LNG projects somewhere else. And a former First Nations leader who backed LNG and who is now a B.C. Liberal MLA said many First Nations bands will be the biggest losers from today's announcement. The North was going to provide an economic boom for British Columbia. It would have changed the face of British Columbia. It would have lifted everybody up out of the unemployment that we're seeing right now in Kitimat Terrace. Very disappointed in this. All right, let's bring Keith in now for more on this. What kind of impact could this have, Keith, on other projects in B.C.? Well, yeah, Petronas says they made its decision based on market conditions. They just haven't got any better for LNG. So other LNG companies presumably have the same concerns. Uh, but keep in mind, the NDP is the greenest government in Canadian history. It has tied itself very uh, strongly to fighting climate change, one of its top priorities. That has significant implications for all kinds of industries, notably the natural resource sector in B.C. So I think investors are going to be wary of necessarily coming to B.C. when you couple the now uh, fight against climate change, which again has implications for those industries and strengthened uh, rights and, uh, and views of First Nations in terms of their powers when it comes to decision making. So uh, this is the first of what could be a number of revisits of investments. All right, we'll see what happens. Keith, thank you. Premier John Horgan in Ottawa today meeting with the Prime Minister for the first time since taking office. The pair discussing the wildfire state of emergency here, the soaring real estate market, the opioid crisis, and of course the softwood lumber dispute. And while they avoided a public disagreement over their differing opinions on expanding Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline, Horgan did use a clumsy moment to make a point. Whoops. <laughs> Didn't know that was there. Here we go. Spills can happen anywhere. There you go. <laughs> we'll get people to clean that up right away. There's a federal response for that. Better be a world-class spill response. Prime Minister Trudeau approved the project last November during the election. Horgan pledged to use every means possible to stop the project. Now to another project pushed by the past Liberal government that's quickly losing steam, the giant Massey Bridge. Last night, Richmond City Council voted to ask the province to stop work on the Massey Project, proposing a different option instead. Ted Jernecki explains why council says the bridge idea should be abandoned. Here at the Massey Bridge Presentation Center on Steveson Highway, it's business as usual with all those expensive to scale models still on display and videos and brochures for the watching and taking. Now, if Richmond Council has its way, this office would close with most of everything else involved in a $3.5 billion project. So you see the, the width of the highway north of the Steveson Highway. It's something over 20 lanes wide. You have a three layer set of uh, on and off ramps and that then leads on to the bridge. The mayor and council have been poring over what the Massey Bridge exchanges would look like and in short think Los Angeles but that's not the vision Richmond has. There's a lot you can do with the existing infrastructure if you're smart about it and you don't have to create that that huge capacity which is simply going to encourage those single occupant vehicles to keep going across that uh, cross that river. Richmond wants to add either two or four additional lanes to the existing tunnel, lanes with an emphasis on public transit. Council was shown more than 500 pages of studies that say tunneling is the way to go, especially now that the Port of Vancouver has put it in writing that they don't need a deeper river for marine traffic. 
We've already spent $22 million in seismic upgrades. That will now be a benefit. And um, we've also spent $60 million on the bus lanes, the express bus lanes. The reality is, is that twinning the tunnel is the most cost-effective and the quickest way to get traffic moving. Today you can see all the preloading along the side of the road, but a wider Highway 99 is also part of a twinned tunnel option. The presentation center shows twinning the tunnel would actually cost a half billion dollars more, but Richmond is convinced it could complete its preference for the same or less amount of money and time. The Transportation Ministry would only say in a statement that it's now reviewing all options. Ted Trinecki, Global News. Turning to the wildfire situation in the province now and some good news for evacuees impacted by the Elephant Hill fire, formerly the Ashcroft fire. Orders and alerts have been partially rescinded in the Clinton Corridor, Loon Lake, Green Lake, Cash Creek area west of Ashcroft. So some homeowners, those in the all clear areas on the map, are allowed to return home. Now residents are reminded to check the Thompson-Nicola Regional District's website for specific addresses and for any updates if you have any questions. Around Loon Lake tonight, some homeowners are clearly frustrated, feeling they've been all but forgotten. Nitu Garcha joins us with more on that story. And Nitu, they're taking matters into their own hands to protect their properties. That's right, Chris. All in the names, name of saving homes, frustrated residents say they went into restricted areas, worked day in and day out for nearly a week. They recorded some of their efforts and later shared that video to Global News, eager to get the story out. We also met with and interviewed some of those men who only wanted to give their first name. As you'll see in this story coming up, they say if it wasn't for their efforts, upwards of 20 homes would have been damaged or destroyed. Here you go. Proof that nothing's being done to save the remaining cabins. Their cabins, boat access only, fighting the flames around them, sparking some spontaneous strategizing. On bucket brigade, trying to get the spot fires that our hose won't reach. These men, Loon Lake property owners, the community ordered evacuated nearly two weeks ago. Days later, officials confirmed properties were lost, adding it's too dangerous to bring ground crews into the south side of the lake. He's already lost everything, but he's up there missing work and work, working very hard to save other cabins. Why? Why do we have to do that? I know. Well, it's just got tired of sitting around waiting for some, someone else to do it. Shock, then disbelief, and then anger. Uh, when we got there in the early morning, there was flames shooting out of the ground. So they traveled from their lower mainland homes, renting and borrowing supplies to personally protect their properties. Well, I don't understand how we can't have, it's too unsafe for fire crews to go in there to fight these spot fires. But we're doing a fine job ourselves going in there, and we have absolutely no training in the matter. The BC Wildfire Service among the agencies at a public meeting for Loon Lake residents Monday night. More than 100 came out in person, others watching and asking questions via live stream. Would we be able to sign a waiver in order to go in? Officials assuring the permanent residents and vacation home owners they're doing all they can to safely protect the community. We've monitored it, and we've had aerial support um, for that area. I just ask for people to stay out of that area because it is under order and uh, it's also under an area restriction. But sitting back and watching, not an option for this committed crew. We're honest people and we want to do what's right. So I know there's a lot of people that don't agree with what we did, but I'd do it a hundred times over again in a heartbeat. 
Fire information officers are trying to hammer home the point that entering a restricted area is against the law, adding that it takes firefighters away from battling blazes so that they can find the trespassers. But clearly that wasn't an issue for those who are determined to protect those properties. Back to you. All right. Need to. Thank you. A cougar attack leads to a warning for residents in the Port Moody area. It happened early yesterday morning. A resident in the area of Chevalier Court and Flavelle Drive was out walking his dog when he says a cougar grabbed it and tried to carry it away. Thankfully, when he yelled, the cougar dropped the small dog, which has since had surgery and is expected to be okay. We'll flash back to one of the low points in our long, cold winter. The salt brawl at a local fire hall epitomized the frustration many Metro Vancouver residents felt. The city of Vancouver heavily criticized for inadequate preparation and planning for the heavy snow and ice. The millions they're spending to make sure they don't get fooled again in just over a minute. A suspicious car approaches a military checkpoint in Egypt. How the tank crew put their own lives on the line to save others. Coming up. And great white sharks on the West Coast. Why it's probably going to happen at the present pace of climate change later on the news hour. Well, Vancouver says last winter's snow clearing disaster that led to citizens fighting over free salt is just the beginning of what climate change could bring. The city now beefing up its battle plan to avoid a repeat of the mayhem. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, it wants to spend millions more to attack the snow and ice. If you squint, you can just make out the odd patch of snow still clinging to the North Shore Mountains. We all remember, though, it was just a few months ago. A winter we would rather forget. City staff are presenting a report to Council Wednesday that details some of the larger failings from the city. Unplowed streets, garbage that sat for a month because trucks couldn't get into the alleys. Whoa! And who could forget the frenzy over free salt? Vision Vancouver has seen three uh, snowstorms, large snowstorms, that have caused disruption in our city and for our residents while they've been in government. It should be no surprise to the mayor. And I think, first of all, they were all MIA. The report recommends beefing up the snow removal budget by $840,000 and adding $4 million worth of new equipment and more capacity for salt and brine. The fear is that climate change will mean more frequent extreme weather episodes. You know, with climate change, this, this is the unpredictability and the impacts are much more severe. We have to deal with extreme weather uh, and, uh, and that is really tough on the budgeting side. We just have to have bigger contingencies. Last winter, the city of Vancouver spent $13 million on snow removal, forced to dip into two separate contingency funds to pay for it all. The report recommends new timelines for removal on all priority streets, including bike pedestrian thoroughfares. We heard from coastal health and uh, ambulances and emergency areas. We heard from uh, Vancouver School Board. We heard from Coast Mountain Bus. And we heard from the public. There was an expectation of a higher level of service. It's hard to think about winter on a day like today, but the city is making plans to be ready. The salt piles still there, waiting to be used. Who knows if it will be needed? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. I'm not ready to think about it yet. No, no. <laughs> Strike it from your mind exactly. and we'll move on. Going for a swim. How about that? In False Creek, it's not recommended right now, but what if the city installed something like this? A floating swimming pool is all the rage in Berlin. How it could become reality in Vancouver, too. 
Also coming up, just 11 days after brain surgery, U.S. Senator John McCain makes an emotional return and a passionate plea to politicians of all stripes. Well, as the summer season is hitting its stride, so too are the number of events attracting locals and tourists to the downtown core. This week alone, Rogers Arena is hosting five concerts. Add in the fireworks and cruise ships. And as Jeff Hastings reports, you've got a recipe for what could be a record-breaking tourist season. Rogers Arena is on one of the biggest five-day runs of its existence. I'm an He's aged a little. Bob Dylan singing for nearly 20,000 tonight. Now watch me break it down like Bruno Mars, the same times too, tomorrow and Thursday. When we did not know the answer. Friday, it said Sharon Stern all this after a week kicked off by the one and only Neil Diamond. While it's certainly going to be busy at the Rogers Arena end of downtown, here at English Bay come Saturday night, it could be chaos. The fireworks barge you can see for the celebration of light has already been set up. This is an event that draws an average of 400,000 people. Hundreds of thousands crammed into Vancouver's West End and locals are bracing themselves. For the locals, it can get a little bit hectic since it's a lot of days and it's kind of hard to like run errands. I see the effects of big crowds, so the place gets destroyed, of course, you know, but... You know, we get a lots of uh, out of it, you know, mm-hmm. tourism, etc. Yeah. Just brings everybody together. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Celebration of light is such a huge draw. Over three nights, they got 1.3 million people. We would encourage people, especially for those busy festival nights, uh, is to use public transit. Your impressions so far? Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> totally different right. experience. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. And that's probably one reason that Vancouver tourism is on pace for another record year. In comparison to where we were this time last year, our visitation is up about 3%, and we saw over 10 million visitors in Vancouver last year. It was a new record for us. Hotels are near capacity and raising rates to reflect demand. Oh, and there are four cruise ships coming in this weekend, their cargo of nearly 9,000 people about to descend on the city. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Another summary idea, the city of Vancouver one step closer to building a floating pool. As we first reported last month, the idea of a, is part of a long-term goal to make False Creek safe for swimming. Our Catherine Urquhart is live in Vancouver with more on the idea. Catherine? Well, Sophie, on a scorcher like today, a swim is a pretty good idea. And one day you may be able to go for a swim here in a pool on False Creek. They have one in Berlin, a floating pool on the River Spree. It's called the Batashif, translation, bathing ship. The popular pool, in fact, made from the hull of a ship. And in the future, we might just see something similar on False Creek. Love it. Absolutely love it. So you'd come here and go swimming if it happens? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That'd be super neat. Probably make the village a little bit busier, but I think it'd be pretty awesome. Well, first of all, they'll have to clean it up first. We've been pulling here. Yeah. I think it would be good. Good idea, yeah. So we can bring like more people from other countries, especially in the summer. People will enjoy that attraction too. Yeah. Vancouver City Council has just approved spending $200,000 for a feasibility study on the idea. One that will also look at ways to improve water quality in False Creek, which has very high E. coli counts. Because we have like 15, 16 foot tides in False Creek, it would have to be um, located on piers, 
The access to the pool would have to be factored in with a series of ramps that would have to be accessible and respond to those changes, that those tidal changes. So there's a number of technical requirements. Possible locations for the floating pool? The south or southeast shores of False Creek. Cost will be a major consideration. Berlin's pool had a price tag of approximately a million dollars. Don't put that bathing suit on just yet. There is still no timeline for when that pool might be approved and ready for a dip. Sophie, back to you. All right. Thanks very much for that, Catherine. Maybe next summer. Maybe next summer. Maybe the summer after that. Yeah, exactly. It would be nice to have one down there. All right. Climate change could bring some new residents to the West Coast. and Not all of them will be welcomed. Are you ready for a sequel to Jaws? And a new study shows the shocking extent of brain injury in professional football players. Roads turned into raging rivers in western India as heavy monsoon rains lashed the region. At least 16 people are dead and more than 24,000 forced from their homes. Hundreds of others were rescued from the rushing floodwaters by people in motorboats. This week's deaths add to the already high death toll since the start of the monsoon season, which runs through September. An Egyptian tank crew is being credited for saving many lives after a suspicious car approached a military checkpoint. The tank drives head on to meet it and then runs over the vehicle. Authorities suspected there was a bomb inside the car, and they were right. There was a massive explosion. Seven people, including two children, died, but authorities say it could have been a lot worse. In the U.S., Senator John McCain returned to Washington and a standing ovation today, nearly a week after being diagnosed with an aggressive brain tumor. The Republican admonished his colleagues as he cast a crucial vote on the health care bill. In the Senate's typically quiet chamber, a hero's welcome for John McCain. On this day, the political maverick enjoying a bipartisan embrace. But I stand here today looking a little worse for wear, I'm sure. Eleven days after brain surgery, the scar still fresh above his eye, the 80-year-old senator delivering a powerful wake-up call to a dysfunctional Congress. Stop listening to the bombastic loudmouths on the radio and television and the Internet. To hell with them. We're getting nothing done, my friends. We're getting nothing done. His return, not just poetic, but dramatic. Completing a cross-country trip just in time to give Republicans a critical yes vote to begin debate on overhauling Obamacare. Mr. McCain, I While pushing colleagues to compromise. I will not vote for this bill as it is today. It's a shell of a bill right now. We all know that. McCain, a staple on the Senate floor for a generation, urging lawmakers to stand up to President Trump. Whether or not we are of the same party, we are not the president's subordinates. We are his equal. At the White House, a show of deference. The president, who during the campaign infamously mocked McCain, saying he wasn't a war hero, delaying his remarks until the senator was done. I want to thank Senator John McCain. Very brave man. He made a tough trip to get here and vote. Still, McCain's move met by resistance. Protesters attacking his vote as an effort to take health care away from millions of Americans just as he benefits from first-class care. The former Vietnam POW who made a reputation fighting, back today for another battle. I have every intention of of returning here 
and giving many of you cause to regret all the nice things you said about me. <laughs> SeaWorld's last orca born in captivity has died. Kiara succumbed to an illness today at SeaWorld San Antonio, Texas Park. The three-month-old killer whale was being treated for an infection she recently contracted. Staff spent the last three days trying to keep her alive, but her health continued to slip. SeaWorld said Kiara had a tremendous impact on the entire zoological team. The company announced the end of its orca breeding program in March of last year. In Health Matters today, startling new research on former football players found evidence of brain disease in nearly all of them. Almost 90% of the donated brains of 202 former NFL, CFL, college and high school athletes studied by U.S. scientists showed signs of CTE. The brain disease linked to repeated blows to the head was discovered in 99% of the NFL player brains. The research published in the Journal of the American Medical Association suggests that there is very likely a relationship between exposure to football and risks of developing CTE later on. Washington State cleanup crews haven't seen this one before. The oozing load that slowed everyone on the road. Next. And why you could be seeing more great white sharks in our waters if present trends continue. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A mysterious foaming ooze falls from a truck on a Washington State highway. Why the gooey mess kept rising right after the forecast. Two weeks ago, we had slimy eels, now foaming ooze. What is going on? Thank- <laughs> ooze on TV. Yeah, it is fun to say. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, only sunshine right now behind Christy with the forecast. Hey, Christy. Yes, another glorious day across the lower mainland. We heated up to 24 degrees near the water today. The winds that we saw on uh, Sunday and Monday have eased off. Uh, 28 degrees inland and the hot spot across Canada today, Lytton at 34 degrees. Now, we all know it's tinder dry out there with the lower two-thirds of the province at a higher extreme fire danger aging. But I thought I would show you some of the numbers. We've had barely any rain since the beginning of summer. So for the last five weeks, as of June 20th, Williams Lake has only had a trace of rain. Victoria, the same. Castle Gar, 0.6. Meriden, Penticton, 1.4. And at the Vancouver Airport, 1.8. To give you a perspective, a lot of these areas would see between, just generally, 30, between 30 to 40 millimeters of rain in this same time period. So it is so dry out there. It's incredible. Now, over the last uh, couple of weeks through the summer, what we've seen time and time again is systems moving in, but only hitting that northern third of the province. And guess what? It's going to happen again. Here's the next frontal system pushing in, and you'll see in the model data that the precipitation just clips the caribou and central interior regions, majority of it north of there, and that's going to be the case as we head into tomorrow afternoon. So areas like Prince George, Quinnell, Williams Lake, a chance of showers, but not much at all. Most of the rainfall across the north coast and in through the far northern regions with a risk of thunderstorms spreading into areas like Fort Nelson and Fort St. John by the end of the day. Prince George and Quinnell, a four 40% chance of showers are really not much at all, but you also have a risk of thunderstorms and the possibility of gusty winds. Across the south, hot and dry once again, mid-30s, and you'll see gusty winds through the afternoon hours. South coast, it will be a hot one. We will see some cloud cover in the afternoon hours, but it'll still heat up 27 degrees away from the water, and uh, even along the east coast of Vancouver Island, you'll have a feels like of closer to 30 degrees and still no rain 
rain in the forecast. Gusty winds expected in the Fraser Valley tomorrow afternoon. One celebration for tonight, uh, Hazel and Bill Judge celebrating 70 years together in Sydney. And our weather window is the cutest thing ever. The newest addition to the Parker family, this is Lola. She's three days old and already has a better hairdo than me. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. Must be the dry weather. Well, it's very cute anyway. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Christy. Got a lot of hair, Lola. All right. Warm weather exacerbating a spill on a highway in Tacoma, Washington. That right there is a bunch of dough. A bunch of dough. She had it right. This truck driver was unaware at first. His load was leaking. He was hauling recycled bakery waste, essentially unused dough that's converted to animal feed. The combination of the yeast and the heat caused the dough to rise and trickle out of the truck. Washington State Patrol dispatched to investigate the seeping mess. It was not hot enough for the dough to bake as it hit the highway, thankfully. Which is good, yeah. It's good. That's just very odd. All right, climate change is causing a rise in ocean temperatures. And according to UBC, some species, including great white sharks, could move north with that warmer water. But not to fear. As Linda Aylesworth reports, it'll be a few decades before any Jaws sightings off our coast. Few things draw a crowd like sharks. It touches a primordial nerve of fear. When people go in the water, you can't see what's down there. You don't know where your feet are or what your feet are near. Thing is, for the most part, they get a bad rap. There are some other things in this world, folks, that are far more likely to cause your demise than a shark. We have 14 species of sharks in B.C. waters. Chances are you'll never see one, but they're there. Things like six-gill sharks and salmon sharks. They may look like great whites, but they're half the size and don't have nearly the bad reputation. Yeah, yeah, the salmon shark. It's, um, it's a specialized fish eater, so it really doesn't, it's not going to be implicated in, in attacks on people. But according to UBC marine researcher William Chung, we can expect the number of shark species in the waters off our coast to increase over the next few decades, thanks to climate change. And it means that with this warmer water, sharks that preferred warmer waters may be able to come up to our coast. Of course, sharks won't be the only marine species drawn to the North Pacific from more southerly waters. We've already had an interesting array of tropical visitors, but exactly what species would move in is unknown. What we do know... With these changes in the abundance uh, and the distributions of different species with climate change, it would change the structure of our ecosystems. And while he can't say for sure, it does seem likely that among the shark species that will eventually migrate north will be... You guessed it. Well, I'm not thrilled with the idea of having to look over my shoulder into the deeper water and, you know, instead of peering for a, for a six-scale shark encounter, worrying about, you know, a great white swimming up behind me. No one ever claimed that climate change was a good thing. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Crazy to think about. But like, so let's not then. Yeah, let's not. Already 14 species of sharks in our waters, so mm -hmm. hey, what's one more? Right. All right, if you say so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hello. How you doing? I'm great, thank you. I know you've been a busy boy I'm not today. going swimming in 30 years, that's all I know now. <laughs> yes, it's been very busy today. Oh, speaking of uh, busy, Louis Desjardins is going to get busy on a new job. And I guarantee next February, everyone in Canada will be cheering for Willie to win. Uh, I think I can wow. guess. Okay. Also tonight, Squire follows the signs to find out who makes them. 
and he got something surprising in return. There was a hint about uh, the future leader of a Canadian hockey team. Oh, there is a hint. Now I'll tell you the full story. Mm -hmm. There we go. Hockey Canada is preparing for the Olympic men's tournament without any current NHL players. The NHL still says it's not going to get involved. But they will have a former NHL coach running the show. Hockey Canada boss Tom Rennie, former Vancouver Canucks coach, hired another former Vancouver Canucks coach to be the Olympic team's head man. It's Willie Desjardins. He will run the bench in South Korea next February. He'll have former Olympic and NHL coach Dave King beside him as one of the assistants. The question, though, is who will be his players? Most will likely be guys who used to play in the NHL but are now in Europe, kind of a Spengler Cup-looking team. Although, you may see free agents who haven't signed with any NHL team play for Canada, possibly even older players like Jerome McGinley and Shane Doan, if they don't get a deal in the NHL, maybe they'd be willing to play for Willie and Team Canada. Speaking of Canada, Kylie Moss today won gold and broke the world record at the same time in the 100-meter backstroke at the World Aquatic Championships, the new record, 58.10 seconds. She is Canada's first ever world champ. The record had stood since 2009. The last time Canada held this record was 1974. Good for her. Well, ever since Jonathan Jennings got hurt, Travis Lule has been doing some sort of Benjamin Button thing where he just gets younger by the day. But even in his younger days, Travis Lule never threw for two straight 400-yard games. In fact, 2011... His outstanding player season, the year he won the Grey Cup, he didn't even have a 400-yard game in that year. But he has two in his last two games against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 404 yards and a couple of touchdowns. The week before, the first week he replaced Jennings against Hamilton, 436 and three touchdowns. And if that's not enough, right now he is second in touchdowns scored on the ground in the entire league. His teammate Jeremiah Johnson has one more. Lule has four, but Lule gives most of the credit to those around him. This is as good of entire group of skill players as I've ever had around me, you know, so it's fun to play with this offense. Um, but, you know, numbers come when you're doing all the other stuff right. You know, it's just been good, and we needed it. We needed every every spare yard last game, right, in the 45-42 shootout. So it's just just doing whatever it takes. Every time I see him dive like that with the ball, I just think of yep. the shoulder. Uh, this week is the Canadian Open Golf Tournament, and there are a lot of Canadians who are quite capable of winning this thing, and that's something that hasn't happened since 1954 when Canada had a different flag. Two of the Canadians that could end the drought this year are both from Abbotsford, Adam Hadwin, who just was at the British Open, and Nick Taylor, who just missed qualifying for the British Open. But he is still having a very solid year. And Jay Janauer caught up to him today at Glen Abbey, where the tournament will be held. Another RBC Canadian Open for Nick Taylor. It's always special to come back to Canada and compete in your own country. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be back here. I was home last week, uh, kind of had a week off, and I'm excited to get this week started. When we look at the season that you've put together, Nick, quietly four top tens, uh, over $1.2 million, by the way, nice for the bank account. What has been going right this year for you? Uh, you know, the ball striking has been great. Uh, the last probably three, four months have been really solid from TD Green. Um, when, I've, when I've been putting well, I've had good weeks, so it's, uh, 
just keep on working on the putting, hopefully get more consistent with that and, and be more contention more often. It seems every Canadian Open we're asking the same question about a Canadian winning this championship. <laughs> it's been so many decades. 17 Canadians are in the field. I'd say there's probably at least six data who are capable of winning. Yeah, I think I think if you're in this event, you're capable of winning it. So it's uh, it's great to see that many Canadians. Um, I think it'll happen eventually. It's just kind of, uh, I think all of us probably try a little extra too hard than, than we probably should. So if we kind of take it in stride like a normal event and try to get in contention, I think we have a chance. Okay, so I know this is always circled in on your calendar, but also in September, out at Ledgeview Golf Course, you're doing your first charity pro-am in support of the University of Fraser Valley Cascades. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, uh, Chris Bertram and I, the coach of the UFE Cascades, got together and... Um, I'm kind of tagging along with his event, but it's it's great for us to be able to support some charity and, and his golf team as well. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, hopefully we can chat with you on Sunday, maybe holding another trophy. Yeah, that's the plan. Thanks. All the best. <laughs> it's always the plan. Mm-hmm. He's not quite there yet, but Ladner's James Paxton is about to photobomb the picture of Cy Young contenders in the American League this year. The only thing keeping him just outside the lead group is the fact he missed all of May or most of May with arm issues. But at the moment... The Mariners' ace has a 10-3 record. He's won his last five starts. He's third in ERA. Last night, I want to show you this against the Boston Red Sox. Chris Sale, I would say, of the Red Sox is the favorite for the Cy Young right now. But there are still roughly three months left in the season. Paxton was facing the Red Sox last night. Tied a career high with 10 strikeouts. He was throwing up near 100. And the curveball was working, too. Watch this. This is dirty. Uh, this is what I love. Not K's, but A's are counted by some of the fans at Safeco Field. That's there fun. You go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. You're welcome. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight, Jay. Thank you, Sophie. The vigilante group Surrey Creep Catchers once again in hot water. The privacy commissioner ordering them to remove all video posted online featuring what they call predators. We will speak to their president, Ryan LaForge. And we heard Vancouver will be packed with tourists this week, but some communities are seeing a drop. Osuyus is usually a tourism hotspot in the summer, but visitors are staying away even though the community is untouched by the wildfires. We'll have that and much more coming up tonight at 11. All right. Thanks, Jay. All right, still to come, an unusual assignment for Squire. And just like a stop sign, just like a stop sign, you don't want to miss it. It's next. Well done. Coming up on ET Canada, Justin Bieber speaks out after canceling the rest of his world tour, plus a sneak peek of the A-list stars and big movies to hit the Toronto International Film Festival this year. And you will not believe who is in talks to play Barbie. Find all of that out tonight. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Is that a... Looks like a skirt she was wearing. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I look too hot. It's a nice look. Just a big ruffle. Why does it look like you Good guys all have way too. better tans than I have? Well, that's the usual, actually. That's probably because <laughs> of the Okay. <laughs> so here's the deal. Um... I want to do a story on what you see behind me, signs. Mm-hmm. Because we're inundated with them all the time. And you know what? I had to put a little Canadian content at the start of this story. <laughs> Old music fans will know what I mean. Here we go. How could I not use that song? It's so obvious. But the people in Vancouver who make signs for the city say there might be a million of them out there. You look on one block, you will count probably anywhere from 100 to 200 on one block. Yeah. Why, why is there like the world's largest, is this for people who forgot their contact lenses or what <laughs> <Yes>. happened? <laughs> it's, it's oversized so that it can be seen from a, a greater distance. 
and there is no sign of there being less signs anytime soon. The street ones, they last about 10 years, but the temporaries are ever-changing. The last two years have just been nuts. Really? Yeah. Because of what, movies and stuff? Movies, yeah, production, construction. And of course, bike signs. I'm guessing the, the whole bike thing has given you guys a whole bunch of new signs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're keeping us very busy. In the old days, the signs were made out of wood and metal. Is there many of these left? Or? There's three in this building. Every street in Vancouver at one time had these? Had these, yeah. And they're all gone? They're all gone. So now what are they made out of? Now everything's aluminum. So here's the question. How many streets are there in Vancouver? Well, 992 with names and then 77 numbers approximately. And aside from big projects like the one just off Marine Drive and East Van, there's not a lot of room for more streets. Generally, there's two or three a year come up through development that we can name. But the other ones obviously have been named for hundreds of years. Okay, we have another question. What's the difference between a street and an avenue? Generally speaking, if it's north-south, it's a street. And if it's east-west, it's an avenue. There's some variation. And how often do you have to change out the street signs? Products are better, they're lasting longer. Now they're just being replaced as they need to be replaced. So if MVA, somebody knocks it down or somebody steals them, that happens. Right. So People they get steal street, street signs. Yeah, absolutely. Really? West 69th Ave, yeah, oh yeah. West 69th That's has been it. stolen many times? Many times. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> now I checked. I don't think there's a Gala street on this planet. I don't what? think there is. There's there a Gordon be. in West Bunch Vancouver. Bunch of underachievers. Mm -hmm. I drove there, by this morning. There's a Sophia in East Van. Where I used to live on it. Odd. Mm -hmm. And there, there's...